Amen. Good morning, y'all. Good morning. Glad to see everybody here today. Um, so, as Dustin just said, I'm, I'm Mark Madry. Uh, for those of y'all that I haven't had the pleasure to meet yet, uh, my, my beautiful wife, Katie, and I, we are members here at Connection Church, and we've kind of got, got involved uh, a little late in the, in the launch team, so we've kind of been here to, to see it progress, and it's just been such an exciting time for us and, and as a church. And so, uh, just kind of give you a little bit about us. We I actually work with, with Dustin's older brother, Ryan, and uh, he had, uh, was talking to me at work one day, and, and he mentioned how his, his younger brother was, was living in Athens, and he thought that, that he and I would have a lot in common and we would get along. So, you know, we share a lot of similar interests with sports and, and outdoors, hunting and fishing and those kind of things. And so as, uh, as that, that kind of discussion progressed, I said, well, yeah, give me, give me his contact info. We'll get in touch and, and see if we can't hang out. So. Dustin and I met and, uh, or, you know, kind of exchanged messages and stuff, and, and we planned a, uh, a dinner. They invited us over to their house for dinner, and so Katie and I went over to Dustin and Rachel. They just bought their house and, and uh, kind of just getting settled in and moved in, had a lot of stuff still, you know, unpacked. And, and as uh, Katie and I were preparing to go over there, you know, it kind of, kind of anxiety set in, right? You know, I think as, as adults, when you try to make friends, it almost feels like a job interview, right? You know, you, you worry, are, are we going to be awkward? Are they going to be awkward? Is, is there going to be anxiety or is there going to be, you know, any kind of indifference there? Um, and then you, you throw in the factor of, of Dustin's a, a preacher, right? Are they going to judge us? You know, are we, are we good enough to go, to go eat dinner with these folks? Um, but nonetheless, we, we, we went and we, uh, we had open hearts and we met Dustin and Rachel and Dax and Cruz. Um, maybe Tate wasn't here just yet, so... Didn't get to meet him yet, but we went over there and we were just drawn to them. Right? I think a lot of you that have been around and been involved, you realize how how open and upfront and honest Dustin and, and Rachel are with their with their relationship with each other, with their relationship with Christ and with this church. And so that that openness, that that just honest factor to them really drew us to them. And so uh, I think you know I think that's really kind of what called us to to kind of hang around them. And so. Of course, Dustin mentioned the church and, and what was going on and the plant and how we were, we were launching here in Winterville and it just kind of seemed to feel right. So we, we, uh, we attended a few small groups and uh, every, every time we went, we just met more and more of the same, right? The people we met in these small groups just had that same feeling of, of just openness and acceptance, right? You know, just that, that feeling of no judgment, of, of no condescending you know, attitude, just, just an openness and acceptance. And then as, as we kind of joined in on the launch groups, the same thing and just multiplied. And so just this overwhelming feeling of acceptance and understanding is really what kind of got us involved and just this feeling of a, of a tight-knit community, right? Everybody was here for the same mission, for the same reason, to further God's kingdom. And so that's ultimately what, what drew us to commun- uh, Connection Church. And so that being said, uh, I want to talk a little bit today about community in itself. We know... Dustin spoke a few weeks ago about community and the importance of it. And so today I'm going to expound a little bit on building community and some factors we can find in the community to help us further it. And so we're going to get this out of the book of Romans. Um, So Romans was written by Paul. And as if you've been with us lately, you know, we've walked through the book of Acts and we see this character Saul turn into Paul and ultimately become one of the greatest writers of the New Testament, right? He's written probably a majority of the books in the New Testament. And so he writes these, these books as letters. You know, he writes to 
Corinthians and Church of Corinth and Galatians and all these things. So this is a, a letter to the church at uh, Rome. And really he finds this, this church just in need of just some good, sound doctrine. Right? He, he's just kind of giving them some good bones to build off of. And so really Romans is a fantastic book if you haven't read through it beginning to end. It's, it's, it's really great. The beginning of Romans talks about the sinfulness of man and our sinful nature. And then kind of the middle of Romans talks about Jesus coming uh, to redeem us. And then the later chapters talk about life application, right? So if you're, you know, it kind of reminds me of a, just a generic kind of outline for spreading the gospel with others, right? I think we can all agree that man is sinful, we're, we're flawed. And then you go from there what Jesus Christ came and, and did for us and how he gave his life. And then going step forward, okay, what do we do now? So again, Romans is just a, a great book to read through. So we're going to read in Romans chapter 12 today, um, and we're going to start in verse 9. So if y'all want to uh, turn with me, we can get started there. All right, Romans chapter 12, verse 9. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. So we're gonna say a quick prayer before we get started here, guys. Lord, we just come to you today just open and, and ready to receive your word, Lord God, as we, as we dive into your, your word here from, from Paul. Lord, we just ask that you allow us to take it, apply it to our lives, and ultimately transform your kingdom. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. So, again, just kind of to reiterate, that these, these last few chapters of, of Romans is, is just how Paul thinks we can better the kingdom and further the kingdom. And it's, it's a, a really good diving board into finding um, some key points to, to grow on. So with that being said, we're gonna get started here with our first point, and that's gonna be consistency. So we, get, we see consistency here in verse 11. It says, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. So consistency, is going to be very important. It's important right in our daily lives. It's important in prayer. Keep, keep consistency in your prayer. Keep consistency in your groups, in, your, in coming to church, in, in so many factors of our Christian, Christian walk uh, is impacted by consistency, right? Praying and, and all these things. They can be powerful tools to improve your, your walk. It, it, Consistency in and of itself is not going to save you, but consistency can improve your walk with God. Um, you know, if you think of you think of a mountaintop you'd like to get to, you think of a you know just a far off goal. 
you think it looks so overwhelming and, and so unreachable. But consistency can be a tool to get you there without, without overwhelming you, right? Consistency, just one step at a time, one day at a time, right? The, all those things can build and build and improve upon your foundation and get you closer to your goal. So we see consistency several times throughout the Bible, and we're, we're called to it. We see in 1 Thessalonians 5.17 that it says to pray without ceasing, right? All right? That praying, just constant state of prayer, that consistent day in and day out prayer can ultimately grow us closer to Christ. There's also a parable in Luke 18. It's, it's the uh, parable of the persistent widow. Um, to make it fit my notes, we're going to call it parable of the consistent widow, right? So... Um, ultimately, just to kind of give you a brief summary, there was, a, there was a woman and she had been wronged by her adversary. And so she went to a judge and said, I'd, I'd like justice from my adversary. And the judge just, just kind of wiped his hands up and said, I'm not getting involved. I'm, I'm not going to do anything. But it says that she was consistent. It says that she continued to go to him and plead for justice for her adversary. And this wasn't just an ordinary judge. It says in the beginning of this parable that this judge feared neither God nor man. But he was afraid of this, this widow, right? And I think we all know some mamas in here that can, that can scare some people with their persistency, right? Um, but no, it's just, a, it's just a really good story that can point to the power of consistency, right? The power of, of continually going to God in prayer and petitioning these things that you, that you want and that you need and ultimately, we know God is good to fulfill them. Um, so we think of consistency. I, I think a lot of us kind of get, get hung up in the idea of, of almost like a legalistic standpoint that well, if consistency is important and I'm not consistent, am I saved, right? If, if consistency is important, if going to church is important and going to group, praying every day, what happens if I forget to pray? What happens if I skip church for a few weeks? What happens if I miss group? And, and although we know in, in Hebrews it says forsake not the assembly because it is important, it's, it's not from a sense of, of, of legalism, right? It's not that consistency alone is your salvation. It's, it's much deeper than that. Um, to illustrate this, I, it reminded me of when I went to college. Uh, we, one of the first few days of classes um, is kind of like a syllabus day, right? Some of y'all might be familiar with this. And, really a syllabus day in your first day of college class. It's just kind of a brief summary of the course. You go over who the instructor is, kind of maybe their background. You go over what the course is going to look like in general, what topics you're going to cover, whether it's you know, project-based, essay-based, if you have quizzes, tests, so on and so forth. And uh, one of the main points of the syllabus that I think a lot of us college kids you know, could have really focused in on was attendance policy, right? Right, those, that's the one time the college kids really perk up and listen in class was, was hey, how many days can I miss and still pass this class, right? Um, so we, we pay attention to this attendance policy and you would think that college is, is real strict, right? You're learning very important courses. These are things you're gonna take and apply to your career and ultimately your life going forward. So, you know, they probably have a strict attendance policy, right? Well, kind of a, opposite of that, a lot of my courses I found had no attendance policy, right? They, they said, hey, we don't care. And uh, that kind of intrigued me, but ultimately the professors explained it. They would say, you know, you guys are paying for this course. You guys are coming here. And if you think you can miss every day of class and, and get out of here, 
that's fine, that's your prerogative, right? We're not going to penalize you for not coming. But they would also say, if you think that you're going to never come and achieve that A plus, right? Achieve that high standard that we're called to achieve, you can't miss, right? You know, it's, it's not from a sense of legalism. It's not from a sense of, of hey, if, you know, you have to come to church 75% of the time. Right, we have that same, I think that same idea about consistency with, with, our, with our Christianity. Right, ultimately consistency benefits us. Right, the attendance policy would benefit the students. Right, to come more often would only serve to benefit us. Right, the professors, the teachers, they would get paid the same whether we showed up or not. Really wasn't that big a deal to them. But if we wanted to get the most from that class, if we wanted to get the most growth and the most understanding, then consistency, attendance, those things benefit the student, right? And I think we see that same thing in Scripture. And so, again, just kind of to reiterate the point on consistency, God doesn't take attendance, right? But missing things, being not present in church, not present in your small groups, being not present in those phone calls with your fellow believers, right? Your brothers and sisters in Christ. Those things can slow your growth and ultimately slow the spread of God's kingdom, right? So I think we're called to be consistent. We see this as Paul told the church of Rome, be consistent. We're still called to that same consistency today. Ultimately, Christ is the perfect picture of consistency, right? I think that's why it's so appealing to us. We, we see Christ and we know that Christ is, is the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? And that's why consistency is so appealing. And although we'll never reach that standard that Christ set, we can still strive to get there. All right, so that brings us to our second point and that's going to be accountability. So we see accountability uh, starting in verse 13. It says, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. <coughs> accountability, right? I think, I think accountability is about as our peers as much as it is about ourselves, right? So we're accountable for each other and we're accountable to each other. Accountability is about much more than, than just than judgment, right? I think a lot of us get this idea of accountability as judgment, that, that if we have someone we're accountable to, they're going to judge us. They're going to think if, if we don't hold our end of the bargain that they're going to think less of us. But as Paul clearly told them here, it's, it's about rejoicing with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Right? It's about being empathetic to others and sharing in their wins and losses. You know, if, if, the, if the church is important, is as important as we say it is, then, then we're held accountable to it, right? right? If, if we are members of the church, we are the church ultimately we know the church is, is the bride, right? And, and we're supposed to take care of the church. We're supposed to be accountable for each other. I think, uh, I think sometimes we think about our salvation, 
as, as just our own, right? We think of how am I going to be saved? How am I going to improve my walk? How am I going to get to the ultimate goal of eternity with Christ, right? But it's about so much more than that. We're called to a community and called to a church so that we can share in that with others, right? We're called to take care of each other and it's not just ourselves. It's about our church as a whole, right? If, if you go to a church and all you worry about is your salvation and you get there to the end of the line and you're just by yourself, what have you really done, right? It's selfish to not share in the word, to not be accountable to your brothers and sisters. And we see this many times throughout the Bible as well. We know in 1 Corinthians it says there are one body but many members, right? So instead of, think of it, instead of thinking on an individualistic standpoint, right, think of us as one body, right? What does it matter if, if the hand is saved, if your foot falls off, right? These things are important and that's how we need to view our growth in the church. It's not about just ourselves. Uh, a, a good illustration of this we find in the book of Ezra in chapter 8. Um, just to kind of give a brief summary of it, there were 12 priests that were charged with taking this treasure, this, this gold and everything to a certain location. And they were given this task, but they weren't given it by themselves. They were given it as a group, all 12 of them. Right, so that serves to, to, to many factors. If you try to carry that amount of weight of gold, you would crumble, right? That, it was a very large amount. That would not work well, just logistically trying to carry it by yourself. Also, there's a sense of protection with a group like that, right? A, a group of 12 is accountable to each other. They're easier to protect each other. They're easier to distribute the work. And so, I got to thinking about this and, and, and kind of how each person played into this role and, and it just really made me realize that what if one of the guys didn't show up? Like what if 12 guys were tasked with this and only 11 showed up? You think the one guy, you know, on one hand he missed out on, on helping with the work, right? So not only did he, did he miss out on helping, but he also deprived the rest of the group of that extra member, right? He deprived them of his portion of weight to carry. He deprived them of one more set of eyes for security, right? He, he ultimately, he, he hurt himself by not fulfilling this mission, but he would also have hurt the group as a whole because they would have to pick up that slack. And so I think we can find the same thing in our church that ultimately we're called to be accountable for the gold, right, which is the church, but we're also called to be accountable for each other, not just for our sake, but for the sake of our brothers and sisters. So accountability is key in growing the church, and Paul knew that, and so that's why we can, we can take this and apply it to our lives today. Um, another example of, of accountability we see is, you know, as we just kind of recently went through the book of Acts, we, we hear the story of Ananias and Sapphira, right? For those of you that have been with us, Ananias and Sapphira were involved in the early church, and they had this plot of land, it says a field, and they sold it, and they, they just kind of out loud said, we're going to take 100% of these proceeds and give it to the church, right? We're going to take this and, and give all of it. They weren't called to, but they, they wanted the glory of it. They wanted the glory of saying we gave 100%. And we know that ultimately they held back a portion, right? They held back, they deceived the church. 
And so we see, as uh, I believe it's Peter comes to essentially call him out on it. He, he comes to Ananias, the husband, and, and calls them on it and says, you, you know, you've deceived the church, you've lied, and the Holy Spirit takes his life, right? Not Peter, but the Holy Spirit. And you think that's kind of the end of the story, but you see a few hours later that Sapphira comes home the wife, and Peter also comes to her and holds her to the same accountability, right? He says, you, again, you've, you've deceived the church. And so we see that the accountability, that standard, that although Sapphira may not have been necessarily in charge, because we know during these times that the husband was, was more so dominant and it wasn't so much of a, a quality standpoint, um, she's still called to that standard, right? She's still called as, a, as, as supposed to be a Christian to that accountability, right? At any point, she could have stood up and, and stopped what was going on and it just kind of reminded me of, of uh, kind of our, our justice system, right? Our legal system. If you are an accomplice to a crime, you're still held accountable, right? Right. You can't help somebody get away with a crime and just be scot-free because you didn't actually commit the crime itself. So we're called to accountability to and for our brothers and sisters. Again, I just want to reiterate to not view salvation and this road of justification as a one-person thing, right? Don't think of it as you in a two-seater Corvette flying down 95 trying to get to salvation as quick as possible. We're called as a church to carry our church with us, right? We're supposed to be in that old church jalopy van, right? The floors are sticky. It kind of smells a little bit. doesn't go over 65. But when we get there, everybody's with us, right? We're called to that accountability within our community and our church. And accountability and consistency go hand in hand, right? Our first two points, if you're not consistent, you can't be accountable, right? If you don't come, put in the work, if you're not praying, if you're not showing up to group, to church, if you're not staying in the word, you can't be accountable, right? We can't count on you if you're not consistent. And that brings us ultimately to our third point here, which is vulnerability. We get vulnerability from verse 16 out of Romans there, and it says, Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no one evil for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. Right, it calls us to associate with the humble, right? To be humble, to be open, to be honest. You know, I, I talked about in the beginning of, of this message how appealing it was to, to see Dustin and, and Rachel and, and the early members of our church just being so real, right? Just being honest and raw and open. And that intimacy, that, that openness, ultimately, that vulnerability can form intimacy, right? The people you're vulnerable with are the people you're most intimate with, right? Those vulnerabilities, while they feel like weaknesses to us, can serve as a springboard for God's kingdom, right? Being open, being vulnerable with your peers, with your church, with your community can further serve to glorify God. You know, sometimes we, 
we, we think of our, our pain and our suffering and our trials and, and tribulations and things as we, as we walk through life. We think of it as, as, as kind of a, a unique thing, right? We think of it as, as we're going through this alone. And a lot of times that feels like maybe half the battle, right? This half the battle of this addiction, of this, this pain, this suffering, this, this thing that I'm dealing with. It's feeling like you're all alone, right? You're in a silo. No one can hear you scream, right? You're all by yourself. But we know that through community, which is one of the many tools that Christ has given us, that we can find empathy, right? It's not that our community can, can ultimately answer our problems, right? We don't just sit around in a small group going, all right, who's got a problem? And we, we, we take field questions on it and we, we, uh, we answer them and uh, solve all the all the world's problems, right? I think if we could do that, we, we, uh, we, could, we could make a lot of money. But essentially, we're, we're just called to empathy, right? This sense of community is not about righteousness or right or wrong answers. It's about intimacy. And so we see this uh, in 2 Corinthians 12 where it says, power, Christ said, my power is made perfect in weakness, right? We think that weakness is, is not a good thing to show, right? We don't want to show our vulnerabilities, our weaknesses, our flaws, but ultimately Christ calls us to that so that he can be glorified through them, right? It says in, in Proverbs that he who conceals his transgressions will not prosper, All right? So we see this several times throughout scripture that vulnerability ultimately benefits us as well. You know, uh, kind of illustrate this, it made me think back to when I was, uh, I think I was going into my junior year of college, um, I found out my father got diagnosed with cancer, right, and it didn't look good, it was, I believe it was stage four, it was pretty far progressed, and the, uh, the outcome wasn't, wasn't favorable, and I think they gave him about a, a year to live at the time, and, um, you know, to, to give you background, my father was this this huge, powerful man, right? Larger than life, was just outgoing, friendly, loving, had the Tom Selleck mustache at, at some points in his life, big, broad shoulders, athletic, right? Smart, successful businessman. To me, he was the most powerful man in the world, right? I think a lot of us put our fathers on this, this pedestal that, hey, my dad's the biggest, strongest guy in the world, right? You know, and uh, to me, he was. And so I thought he was a true picture of power. And as this, this disease progressed, this cancer, I saw a lot of that, what I thought was power, being stripped, right? The cancer took his muscle, right? It deteriorated, it took his, even his skin looked pale. All these things that I thought made him powerful were stripped away. And you would think it at that most vulnerable moment as his life was coming to an end where he was, he was the weakest, he could barely talk, you would think he couldn't do much, right? You know, again, he's, he's just probably at the weakest point of his life. But it was during that time, because we knew that his time was limited, we knew that his day was coming, that we were able to share and be vulnerable. Right? We were able to, to take this time and, and just really get deep with each other. Right? We knew that, that this was the time to be vulnerable with each other. We were able to, to talk about things we're able to talk about life and, and the past and, and the future and talk about God and, and salvation. 
and our ultimately our final resting place. And so these discussions that we had served to transform my life in a powerful way, right? These things that he said to me, I'll never forget. And it just kind of stands to, to show that it was, a, it was at the time of the, the greatest weakness, the greatest, greatest vulnerability, that he was able to impact me the most. And we're called to that vulnerability, right? We see this in our, in our Heavenly Father as well. He came down perfect and powerful, and he was ultimately crucified, right? He was stripped naked, beaten, crucified, humiliated. And it was at that time of greatest vulnerability that he did the most for us, right? He was able to be the sacrifice for us so that we may see life eternal. Christ was vulnerable for us. We're called to be vulnerable as well for him. Don't be afraid to be vulnerable. Be open with God and open with your community and open with your friends and family. Right? You never know when that vulnerability can serve others. Right? This plays back into our accountability. Who knows when the trials you went through were meant to serve someone else in your group. Right? What if the very thing that brought you the most pain was meant to give you a mindset and a perspective that you can share with others so that maybe they miss out on a little bit of that heartache? Right, so this is our third point, vulnerability, and we, I think it's, it's arranged this way for a reason. I think Paul mentioned these things in this order for a reason. I think being consistent is a stepping stone, being accountable is next and then being vulnerable. Because we know that if you're not consistent and accountable, you can't be vulnerable, right? Right, you've got to be there. You've got to be familiar with your friends and family. You've got to have that intimacy so that you can ultimately open up and create that vulnerability. So don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of being open and vulnerable. I believe it can ultimately lead to our healing. So that's our last point. And just kind of to wrap this up, the, these three things we talked about today, consistency, accountability, and vulnerability, like I said, they're arranged for a reason, and they're simple, tangible things, right? They're, they're things that we can, we can easily work on, they're things that we can easily improve, and ultimately, if we take these things, apply them to our lives, just as Paul wanted them to apply them to their lives in the Church of Rome, we can grow this church, right? We can grow within our church and we can ultimately better spread the gospel. And that's what we're called to do as Christians. So, again, just let this community, let this church be a vehicle that Jesus Christ can use to further his kingdom. Right? And if you're looking for ways to get involved in our community, after church, there's going to be a green tent right outside the door. 
there's directions there on how to get involved with, with the heart and soul program we have with community groups, right? Just kind of ways to get involved. So with that being said, guys, I'm going to say a quick word of prayer. And that'll be it for us. Bow your head. Lord, we come to you today just, just open and honest and humble, Lord God. Lord, I pray that we as a church and we as individuals can be consistent, accountable, and vulnerable. Both with, with ourselves, with our church, with our loved ones, with our family, and ultimately with you, God. Lord, I pray that we're able to take this word, apply it to our lives, and better spread the good news of the gospel. Lord, I just thank you for this time. Thank you for this community. Thank you for this opportunity to share your word. May we apply it to our lives and ultimately grow to you. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, all